we are, Lord. Here we are. Good morning, beloved. I just want to tell you this morning, I love you. I love you. My heart is filled with love for you, uh, filled with love for life, filled with love of what God uh, can do. We're starting this series in James, uh, going through this letter. James is writing to Jewish Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire uh, because of persecution. And this letter offers just wonderful words of wisdom for our Christian walk. Faith, action. And James is like a New Testament Proverbs, folks. It has so much practical wisdom and practical application that we can utilize for our walk. You know, you can spend a lot of time gaining wisdom from the Bible, from prayer, from people in life groups and in our bands together. But does this wisdom change your actions, your thoughts? It's great to do daily devotion, to memorize scripture verses, but do they motivate you to increase your love for God, to increase your love for self, and to increase your, your love for others? This is what James challenges us to do. To put our faith into action. And today we're going to examine trials, temptations, and perseverance today. Let's start. Dive into this beautiful letter. James 1, 1 through 4. James, a servant of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James immediately takes it head on, the reality of trials that we will all face in our life. Take note that James doesn't say, if trials come. Did you catch it? He says, when trials come. They come. They come walking in. It's almost like trials have a a key to our front door. They mosey around the kitchen. They hang out and put on the, the TV and kick their feet up. And trials take place. They're always before us. And the Christian faith does not... uh deny the reality of trial, does not prevent us from allowing trials to triumph over us. But according to James, our faith gives us power and perspective not to focus on those trials, but how the best overcome the reality of our trials. And James calls us to face our trials, face our troubles without yielding. It's very surprising to me, even shocking, that James tells us to consider our trials pure joy. That's a change of mindset. He doesn't waste any time. He starts off this letter with a bang. Doesn't he? Did you catch that right away after his introduction? Consider your trials pure joy. That's opposite of our thinking, isn't it? He's telling us to have a new perspective on our trials. To see them differently. He is saying that we can respond to the testing and the trials this way if we make a choice to do so. The word consider implies decisiveness. We have a choice of how we respond to those times of trial. And he counsels us with a choice to rejoice. A choice to rejoice. 
And while this is not always an easy thing to do, it is possible to do with God's help. And we will see that it is a beneficial thing for us to do as well. If we look to Christ, we trust in Christ and receive from Christ, God will navigate us through those trials, not around them, but through. And Jesus will give us an anchor of joy in times of trial so that we will not go adrift. It may be hard to believe, but God can use trials for our good. And God allows trials. Like Job, they can be used to test our faith. Trials gives us a chance to prove our love for God and to receive love from God and nurturing when we walk through these trials. It's easy to say we love God and to be faithful when things are going well, right? But what about when things become difficult? These are times that require faith and show our true character, worth our salt, as it's been said. It's during the challenging times that many people turn away from God instead of turning to God and drawing near to God and watch what God does in the midst of those trials. We need to view trials as a chance for us to grow and to trust in God. If we want to be used by God for his glory, we have to be prepared for our trials. And God entrusts us with trials, sometimes lots of them. And God uses trials because of what they do. Trials give us a chance to put God's power on display. They are a tool. A tool to help break the dependence just on self. And switch over and turn our attention to dependency on a good and gracious God. A God of strength and power. And God entrusts us with trials so that we uh, can be a light for others and witness to God while we are in those trials. The Lord uses them uh, also to get our attention and also to reveal our sins and weaknesses. And as a loving father, he wants us to be restored in fellowship with him. A.W. Tozer compares a life of no trials versus a life with trials to a field. A fallow field just lies around and does nothing. It fears no plow, no pain, no struggle. But it experiences nothing of new life or new growth or new potential in that field. But when a farmer comes along and puts the plow in that field and begins to tear into the soil, the field experiences, yes, probably pain and and breaking and discomfort, But it breaks up that ground so that what the seeds can can be planted and nourished and grow and thrive. And the plow represents those trials and tests. And God breaks up that ground so thriving can take place. James is saying that if your Christianity is genuine, it will prove itself in times of trouble. If your faith in God is is good only when you're doing well, then that's of really of little value. True faith will sustain the believer when life goes wrong. When a person of little faith goes through a test, it inevitably reveals how shallow his or her faith is. But when a more mature 
believer goes through a test, it inevitably reveals how true his or her faith is, where it is weak, and how it needs to be strengthened. Trials burn up imitation faith, but strengthen true faith. Trials and temptations are different. And James makes an important distinction between them. He also clarifies the source of each. He makes it clear that God is never responsible for tempting people. Get that out of your brain. Temptation comes from the evil one. It does. Temptation doesn't come from a pure and holy God. It's important to know that God is not that source. So let's go back to James. James chapter 1, 13 through 15. Look at this with me. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It's been said that when Satan tempts us, it is to try and bring out the worst in us. But when in our temptation, when we turn to God for help, it brings out our best. Our best and makes us more godly. At the heart of temptation is the enemy working to tempt you not to trust God. To go against God's will and to steer you away from God. And we all know there are various degrees of temptation. For the past several months, I've been trying to lose weight. I don't know about you, but I love food. I am a foodie, man. I always get tempted every time I see a skyline chili. I've been trying to shed weight a couple months before our, our daughter's wedding. Uh, Emily's wedding. I've been trying to hang in there. And one of the worst places, my friends, is right here at the church, at the annex office. Every time I walk in the break room, there's donuts, there's candy. The goodies are sitting out there, very tempting. And I walk in and I think, you got to get behind me, Satan. These donuts are going, eat me, eat me, Jonathan. And one time, these donuts just had this incredible glazing on it. And I took one real fast and I walked over by the water cooler and I just ate it as fast as I could so that when, if a person walked into the break room, they wouldn't see me eating and I'd about choke to death. But I whipped through that thing and I'd give in. But most of the time, I wouldn't. All seriousness, temptation can be far more dangerous than just goodies in the break room. The thing about giving into temptation is it can turn into a stronghold, my friends. A stronghold. If we keep giving in to the same temptation, it's like building a wall, a stronghold wall, brick by brick. But when we seek God's help, when temptation comes, it begins to dismantle that stronghold. It's inevitable that temptations will come to us. It is not inevitable that we must give in to them when they do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul writes, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 
So let's look at some ways of overcoming temptation. And I, I, I found five ways. First, pray, pray, pray in the midst of that temptation when it's calling out. When we call out to God in that temptation, we have to remember that God rules and reigns over everything, including that temptation. The Bible is quite clear that we are at war, my friends. There is a vicious battle raging on around us between the kingdom of God and the tyranny of a cruel insurgency that is working on you. There is no neutral ground in the universe, says C.S. Lewis. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And the name Satan literally means the adversary or the enemy. And Jesus describes the enemy as one who comes to kill and destroy. So there is no neutral ground in the universe, as C.S. Lewis says. And so there can be no neutral people. We must pick a side. One cannot be a conscientious objector. Therefore, we need to call on the authority of the good. The one who lives and reigns over everything and desires to help you find a way out. Pray, pray, pray for that ultimate authority when you are being tempted in that moment. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, come. Rule and reign in this moment. Next, don't believe the lie. You can learn from listening and looking over the shoulder of Eve in the Garden of Eden. The lesson to learn from Eve's fatal mistake is that she was tempted like this. To don't don't believe Satan's lie. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been waging a battle for our minds. And his strategy against Eve was to put a question mark where God put an exclamation point. The enemy asked her in Genesis chapter 3, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, the devil's tactics haven't changed. He attacks by tempting us to question the word and the character of God. And the lie of the devil is to find greater uh, gratification apart from God. That sin will make us happier and more content. The lie is that we can be our own gods and that we don't need God. And that we can live for the created, not for the creator, without consequence. Don't believe that lie, my friends. Sin never delivers what it promises. Because of God's transformative work in us, we don't have to fall captive to those deceptive lies of the enemy. Instead, we can go on the offense. Using the language of warfare, Paul said we must take every thought captive to obey under the obedience of Jesus Christ. The next way of overcoming temptation is to run. Run. We can learn a lot from Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. It says Joseph escaped and ran outside. He literally ran. There are times when running away is an act of cowardice, but there are also times when running is as evidence of integrity. There was persistence in Joseph's temptation. 
If you read Genesis 39, look, 39 verse 10, it says, Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph day after day, tempting him. He could not let his guard down. The temptation was po- poised by her in that, in that daily battle. And one day, Joseph found himself uh, in a dangerous uh, situation. There was no servants in the house, and he was alone with her. And it says none of the servants were there. And Potiphar's wife grabbed Joseph by his garment and pulled him and said, sleep with me. And Joseph recognized some circumstances call for running. Most of the time, most of the time it's the wise thing that we can do to run away from temptation. Unless there is no way to escape it, don't stay in temptation's presence. It would be better for me just not even to walk into that break room. Just turn around, Jonathan. Turn around. Run. You can see me running through the office. (laughs) Avoid those situations where you know you can be tempted to do wrong. My dad was an alcohol and drug counselor. And I remember him talking to a person that he was sponsoring. And he said to this person, maybe you shouldn't drive by that bar every day. Maybe you should take a different way home. Because his truck was driving into that bar every day. Dad said use a different route, and I'll never forget that. Physically remove yourself from that temptation is one of those ways. The fourth thing we can do to overcome temptation is to use God's word. Yes, knowing Bible verses and being able to quote them is a helpful defense in resisting the devil's attack. Living by the Bible is so imperative for us. Not just just plugging it into our brains, but actually having it come out in our actions. The devil knew scripture, but didn't obey it. It was in his head, but was not in his heart. And when things get into our hearts, we can live that out in our actions. Just don't quote the Bible. Use it as a lamp for your feet and a light for your path, as Psalm 119.05 states. I love Psalm 119. Not only is it the longest psalm, but more importantly, it has practical counsel concerning the use of the word of God in combating temptation. Listen to verse 11. It says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Notice it says heart. I have treasured it in my heart so I may not sin against you. It it indicates more than memorization. It's a passion for God's word that grows into a deeper longing from God and a deeper way of having our actions be under godly guidance if we seek his word. Verse 10 in Psalm 119 says, I have sought you with all my heart. And the key to overcoming temptation is wanting God more than you want what temptation promises. Verse 47 says, I delight in your commands, which I love. And a person who delights in scripture gives their whole energy to know it and to obey it. Verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. Ephesians 6.18 says that God's word is like a sword. And it's the only offensive weapon in that armor of God. God's word decimates, (laughs) decimates that temptation, tears it up to where it does not have power. Last but not least, overcoming temptation is who you going to call? Who you going to call? 
And I'm not talking about Ghostbusters here. No. Who are you going to call? In my life, on my Christian walk, there were brothers that I would call when I was under temptation. And I asked them if I could do that. And I've done it. And then there are brothers that call me when they are under temptation. Who's someone you can tell about a temptation that keeps popping up, calling out to you for you to go against God's will? Someone you can reach out no matter what time of day or what time of night. All of these ways of overcoming temptation help us to persevere, my friend. Satan may use a situation in your life to try to tempt you to give up. Don't give up. Persevere. God can use the same situation to encourage you to persevere and to help strengthen your faith. Yesterday's trials give you the faith to persevere through the trials of today and tomorrow. And you don't need to be fearful of the trials you face because God is with you. He's always been faithful to see you through those trials to date. You can look back on. And that's what James tells us. He says, consider, 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 count. Some translations say count. You look back on those trials and you can think about when God showed up, how those trials were guided and navigated by the Holy One. And this is where the reward comes in, when we persevere with God. Listen to what James says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is saying that a follower of Jesus Christ who faces their trials and temptation preserves or perseveres to the end with Christ, that person will be blessed. Imagine being so mature in your faith that you would be able to say, even if all this world leaves for me is Christ, Christ is enough. Christ is my life. Christ is my everything. Christ is my crown of life. And that's what James is boldly proclaiming to these Jewish Christians that were living in this world of persecution and trial. You know, every one of us has faced trials and temptations in our lives. And many, if not most of us, or even all of us, are going through them right now. If you are, I want to do something today. We're going to do something together. Trials and temptations, if you're going through them now, I want you to stand. Please. Stand. Trial or temptation. If you're going through them right now, I want to stand. I want to proclaim God's scripture over you. To proclaim that, that, that powerful word. These scriptures about persevering in trial and temptation. And knowing the world we live in, we should probably be all on our feet if we are able now hear and receive these promises of God. Close your eyes. Maybe pull out your hands and just say, here, I want to receive, Lord, from your holy word. Isaiah 54, 17. The Lord declares that no weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. 
1 John 4, 4, you, dear child, are from God and have overcome lying spirits because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is your light, your salvation. Whom shall you fear? The Lord is the stronghold of your life. Whom shall you be afraid? Isaiah 41.10, God says to you, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Psalm 32, seven through eight, make God your hiding place. He will protect you from trouble and surround you with songs of deliverance. He will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He will counsel you his loving eye on you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, my child, do not lose heart. Though outwardly you are wasting away, yet inwardly you are being renewed day by day for your light and momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And since we have what we have is seen and temporary, what is unseen is eternal. First Peter 5.10 proclaims, And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, steadfast. Philippians 4.19, And God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In James 1.12, I proclaim this over you. Blessed are you who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, you will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. Receive that. Receive that. That holy word spoken in you. And today as we gather at the table of our Lord, we come communing together in his strength. And we remember that God did not spare his only son from the trials and temptations that Jesus faced. And we know that Jesus won victory for all of us by his perseverance and his faithfulness to God. Jesus is present with us, my friends. Jesus will never leave or forsake us. Remember when he was in the time of trial in Gethsemane? He prayed, not my will be done, Father, but your will be done. 